It's time for Hamilton County Goes to the Movies for February 10th, 2020. This is a podcast all about film featuring Adam Austin, local business owner, member of the Carmel City Council, and a lover of all things film. My name is Larry Lannon. I write a local news blog, LarryandFishers.com, from Fishers, Indiana, Carmel's next-door neighbor. On this episode, Adam and I review the winners and losers in this year's Academy Awards. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. It's a dark and rainy morning here in downtown Carmel. We're at Donatello's Restaurant for another edition of Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. And Adam Austin, part owner of Donatello's, is here. And uh, we have just had the Academy Awards the night before we record this. Excuse me. And we want to talk about that. First of all, Adam, good to talk to you again. Good to see you, Larry. And you'd had a very good night as far as your predictions were concerned. I think you got one wrong, if I remember and right. I, and I was kind of on the fence. So I knew it was going to be a battle between 1917 and Parasite for Best Picture. Uh, they both had a lot of nominations, a lot of buzz. And so I kind of split my bets and saying, all right, I think Parasite's going to win Best Picture. And I said, well, maybe I'll give someone else Best Director. Because sometimes the Oscars do, do do that, where there's two kind of movies, and then they kind of split a few awards. But uh, if you watched last night, you can see that was not the case. Um, Parasite did very well in a lot of the major categories it was up get, for. We'll get into all that. Uh, it's and, not a and, spoiler. Well, I mean, people do know, but I wanna, we, I've got this all... all okay. We're going to talk about all these issues, trust me. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the major um, categories. Some you made predictions on, some you didn't, which is fine. But I must tell you... I. I I'm, I was a little disappointed, I'll, 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 and, and I was happy for some people, disappointed in other situations. So let's just kind of start with some of the acting awards. Um, and the first one that was uh, announced at the Academy Awards ceremony was, was the uh, actress in a supporting role. We had Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, uh, Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit. We had uh, Florence Pugh and Little Women, Margot Robbie and Bombshell. But the winner was your prediction, Laura Dern, and if you had watched any of the other awards programs, Laura Dern was almost unanimously winning this, so I, I suppose it was almost a foregone conclusion. Yeah, she's a great actress. Um, she's done a lot of great films over the years, uh, even kind of going back to when she was younger in Citizen Ruth, and um, I thought she was great on the HBO shows Enlightenment and uh, Big Little Lies. Um, I will say they were all really good nominees. I was kind of rooting for Scarlett Johansson. Um, she was a double nominee, but came home empty-handed in both. The only one that I was kind of, I had nothing problem with it, but Kathy Bates already has an Oscar. The other four do not. Um, I will note Florence Pugh, who was a first-time nominee. Larry, she is going to be a big mm-hmm. star. Mm-hmm. She is going to be someone that everyone knows within the next year that goes from obscurity to uh, maybe not Scarlett Johansson level fame, but she's going to be rising up to there. She had a great year. She was the lead in Midsummer, kind of a cool indie film by A24. She scored an Oscar nomination for Supporting Actress for Little Women. Um, she was in a couple other films, um, I think kind of a disposable kind of wrestling movie where she was the lead, but people saw it. She was in some more things. And in May, she is going to be in the next Marvel movie with Scarlett Johansson, the um, black widow. Mm -hmm. So that's really going to launch her by then. Everyone's going to know who Florence Pugh is and deservedly so because she did very well in the films that I saw her in this year. Yes. uh, Marvel has several films coming up this coming year. Uh, but I want to say one thing. Laura Dern, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned Citizen Ruth. That's a great film. Uh, if you can find it, I saw it years ago when it first came out. Very controversial subject. It that was movie. a very controversial <laughs> subject, but it was a very well done film. But I think it's sort of, uh, it, it, I won't say it, it was too totally on one side, but you kind of got the idea of both sides, even if the director mm-hmm. and the writer were on one side of that. But I was really rooting for Scarlett Johansson, even though I knew Laura Dern almost had the thing in the bag. Because I loved Scarlett, uh, jo- was it Scarlett? No, 
Wait a minute. I've got it's yeah. It's a uh, Jojo Mar- Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. She was good. Who was I looking? I was I. Uh, Margot Robbie. Okay, I was thinking of another film. All right, never mind. I'm getting old. So uh, uh, I think that you know Laura Dern was was hands down the best in that particular category. And sadly, you know, sometimes some of the best acting performances are in this category. Not sure that was totally true this year, although they were all good performances. So what I liked about these performances this year is, um, with the exception of maybe Margot Robbie, you could say she was kind of a lead, but that was an ensemble cast movie. Um, And so I don't have a problem with her being supporting. But often, what we've seen in the past, Larry, is you get a movie where it's a husband and wife, and they're pretty much co-leads in a movie, and they just decide that the female actress, we're not going to put her as a lead actress, we're going to put her in supporting actress, which is almost kind of sexist. It's like saying her character wasn't as important. We are talking about Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. The perfect example of that is when Viola Davis won Best Supporting Actress for Fences. Mm Mm-hmm. That was not a supporting role. That was a lead actress role. You and I and and Christopher Lloyd and others have talked on this program about how the Oscars play games with this supporting and lead role. Let's go to the leading women's, uh, the actress, leading actress roles. Uh, There was uh, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. A uh, great film about Harriet Tubman, although I haven't seen it yet. I've I've talked a lot about it. I watched it recently, yeah. Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, Cersei Ronan in, in uh, Little Women, and Charlize Theron in Bombshell. But I must tell you, I can't argue with this decision, Rennie Zellweger, for Judy. Now, Judy was an okay film, but man, Rennie Zellweger, she just absolutely poured herself into that role. So I have to say it's hard to say that's a bad decision. Although, again, I thought Scarlett Johansson had a shot at it. I really liked her marriage story performance. So I agree. I watched Judy. I rented it. Uh, I didn't go to the theater for that one. The movie itself was a little by the numbers. The whole thing felt like it was trying so hard to win an Oscar. And you could probably say the same for Renee Zellweger's performance. Uh, it was kind of an Oscar Beatty performance. She was playing a character and she, it had all the elements of please give me a statuette. Mm-hmm. That might have turned me off a little bit. Mm -hmm. But even though it turned me off, I'm like, yes, she was good. And there wasn't anyone else that I felt completely robbed. I might have liked Scarlett Johansson or Saoirse Ronan um, just because I thought they had some real um, heart in their roles. And they've both been really good for years. Neither one has won an Oscar. And uh, Renee Zellweger already has an Oscar. And and you did predict this as being the winner. I did. And I think it was Uh, was pretty close. I will say... Saoirse Ronan will get an Oscar soon. She's actually the youngest person to have. I think she has four nominations. She has plenty of time. But and she's like now. 25 mm-hmm. years old, so she has plenty of time. How long has it been since Rennie Zellweger has even been in a film? Has it been what? How many years has it been? She's been I don't know. Of, some, probably some Bridget Jones movie that I we mean, didn't see, was, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just being years. honest. Bridget she, Jones's divorce, something like that. She kind of walked away from filmmaking, and all of a sudden she came back with a bang, I guess, in this film. And it was good, so I can't argue with that. Let's go to a supporting role for actors. Tom Hanks, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. Al Pacino, The Irishman. Joe Pesci, uh, the Irishman. You predicted Brad Pitt, and he won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, a couple quick comments on my part. There were two I was kind of looking for as a dark horse. I really liked Joe Pesci in The Irishman. Just thought he was fantastic. It was a different role than he normally played. And, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese had to talk him out of retirement. You know, he hasn't been at any of the award shows where he's been nominated because he's just saying, okay, I'm retired. I'm out of the film business. Leave me alone. So it was, it took quite a sales job to even get him in that film. But I also was sort of rooting in, a, in another way for Anthony Hopkins and the two popes. I really liked that film, but uh, Brad Pitt, uh, again, Hollywood, uh, Loves films about Hollywood. Of the five nominees, he was the only one without an acting Oscar win in the past. Uh, Of course, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Tom Hanks, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci have him. Uh, Brad Pitt had an Oscar previously producing 12 Years a Slave, which won Best Picture. 
and he had been nominated for acting uh, previous years for 12 Monkeys, the, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and Moneyball, but came home empty-handed each time. Uh, it was good to see Brad win. It was a deserving win. I will say there were some great supporting acting performances this year that didn't get nominated. Mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe was yes. fantastic in The Lighthouse. Uh, I'd say there were some great supporting performances in Just Mercy, uh, more than one. Jamie Foxx and Rob Morgan were great in that. Sterling Brown and Waves, and uh, probably a couple others. Depending if you thought Christian Bale was leader supporting for Ford versus Ferrari, um, he got snubbed in some category, wherever you want to put him. And that was sad. That was. That, we'll talk more about Ford versus Ferrari in a moment. I got a couple of... Uh bones to pick with a few things that happened at the awards ceremony. Let's go to the leading actor uh, category. Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver, Marriage Story, Jonathan Price and the Two Popes, the winner, and not a big surprise again, Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker. A couple of quick comments. I didn't like The Joker really as a film, but you've got to give Joaquin Phoenix credit for what he did in that role. So uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of, it was very expected, and I think uh, it was the right choice for a number of reasons. One, he really immersed himself in the role, and if you learn a little bit about Joker, and I know you didn't love the movie, but the things that were the best parts of the movie really were because of Joaquin Phoenix, not only because of his acting, but he was ad-libbing a lot on the set. Um, the dances, he just made those up on the spot. Some of the weird, quirky moments where he crawls inside a refrigerator and closes the door, no one told him to do that. That wasn't written in the script. He just went ahead and did that. He's an, he's an odd fellow, but it works as an actor. He's been good for so many years in films like The Master, Her, You Were Never Really There, Walk the Line, even going back to Gladiator. So it was very deserved. Um, I will say... Of these nominees, they were all strong. I probably would have taken off Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonathan Price. Not that they weren't good. I would have dropped them. And I would have added Christian Bale if you put him for lead. I don't know where we're going to put him, but you could put him there. And Adam Sandler in mm-hmm. Uncut Gems, mm-hmm. who actually won Best Actor at the Independent Spirit Awards. Larry, if you haven't seen this movie, Adam Sandler really shines. And... Uh, I don't know. I mean, you kind of have to see it to believe it, but uh, he really does give at least an Oscar nomination-worthy performance, so it was a shame he got snubbed. I'm going to bring up the Independent Film Awards in a moment, but uh, that's a fun... That is a fun TV show to watch. They just don't really take themselves seriously. They have a lot of fun at that uh, at that awards ceremony. And there were some films that uh, did get recognition and actors who got recognition there that didn't at the Oscars, Willem Dafoe yeah. being, being one of them. Eddie Murphy did a great job in a Netflix film, Dolomite Is My Name, mm-hmm. and uh, he could have been in there in the five acting nominees. It certainly was one of his career best performances we saw this year, and that brings us to another point. So Eddie Murphy wasn't nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see the one nomination that we're about uh, in the best actress category. But besides that, um, there weren't a lot of people of color. No. Uh, Antonio Banderas, Hispanic, uh, but besides that, women and uh, and minorities didn't do too well in terms of Oscar nominations, and that was the butt of many jokes at the ceremony, which was deserved, in my opinion. But I'll say one thing about Joaquin Phoenix, one last uh, comment about him. He probably will win the award for the most incoherent speeches given when he accepts an award. The only thing he said in that acceptance speech that I think even rang true in that room was the fact that he apologized to all the people he <laughs> for some of his antics that he had performed was, in the past. There was a good message there. So when he was going on about Second animal now. rights, you know, uh, he's a big vegan, and so I get what he was talking about. I but think, it, he just rambled too Yeah, much. he rambled. That's all. Yeah, well, he's not, give, he doesn't need to thank anyone because he's won every time his, <laughs> he's been up for acting, the Golden Globes, every, BAFTA, everything. So he, he's given his thanks already, so it was time for him just to make a statement. But he did say an important thing. Hey, I've made some mistakes in my life, but people gave me a second chance. Mm-hmm. So instead of this cancel culture where we try to destroy everyone based on a tweet that they say, why don't you give someone a second chance and show some compassion? One last thing. Sure. Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, almost nobody saw him. Mm-hmm. It's a really good film, and Antonio Banderas is really good in it. Maybe he shouldn't have 
won, but I, it was nice to see him nominated because that's the kind of performance that a lot of people might overlook. And hopefully with that nomination, people will seek out that film, Pain and Glory. It's kind of Pedro Modavar's, um Fellini, his look back on his entire life. So it's one that I do recommend you check out. I'm going to pick out another uh, category here that I always like. It's, it's a technical category, but it's so important to how films are put together. That's cinematography. The cinematographer in a film is so critical as far as how, what you end up seeing on the screen. And in The Irishman, Joker, Lighthouse, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all received nominations. The winner, again, and he had been snubbed for so many years, now he's back winning again as Roger Deakins for 1917. That was an unbelievable job in cinematography. I liked that film very much, more than a lot of other people did. And I think to a large degree, it's because of Roger Deakins' work. Yeah, some people call 1917 a gimmick film because of the one shot. And it's not truly a one shot. There's a lot of um, technical wizardry to make it look like one shot. Um, But Roger Deakins gives a great... um, You know, you're right. He'd been overlooked so many years. He'd done a lot of great work with the Coen brothers. Uh, Fargo being one that really comes to mind. It's one of my favorite He was robbed that year. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we finally won with the the kind of the new Blade Runner film. Mm -hmm. Um, He does a great job on this one, and he said it was very hard to do this because technically it's supposed to be one shot, but he was shooting outdoors, and Mm -hmm. lighting-wise, the Mm -hmm. sun's going to move, so you had to kind of get it perfect. You can touch some things up in post-production, but any good cinematographer knows you want to try to get it right when you shoot it first as opposed to saying, oh, we'll fix it in post, we'll fix it in post, because sometimes you really can't. I saw a short documentary somewhere about the technical challenges of of just filming that that movie uh, just for the reasons you mentioned, with these long shots, and I had dug all these trenches and did all this... Uh, to make it look like it was 1917 and World War One, and Deacons gets much of the no, credit. I love that for film. That. Uh, I know you'll probably touch on this later, but it was ridiculous when that movie was nominated for best screenplay, though, because well, there, there's very few lines of dialogue given in that movie. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to that. So you can talk about okay. That here at I the mean, end. yeah, it was. There's only so many categories we can really get to, so I'm just the beginning, up some of them. close to the beginning of the night when we saw Parasite win best uh, original screenplay mm-hmm. for a foreign film. That mm-hmm. that does happen sometimes, but not very often. Um, but when that happened, I thought, all right, if they're winning this category. It's going to be a big night for Parasite because they're not, they're starting off with screenplay, um, beating Quentin Tarantino. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, and then I, I thought, yeah, they're going to sweep up a lot of these awards, and uh, they did very well. Okay, we're going to get into the Parasite thing here now with the director, uh, the, the best director. I have a comment about Parasite that I think we all need to consider. And this goes back to the Independent Film Awards we mentioned earlier. I thought Parasite was a good film. I didn't think it was a great film. A good film. The film that I think got snubbed unfairly is The Farewell, Mm -hmm. which won the Independent Film Award, I think, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. for Best Picture. Uh, So Parasite's a good film, but I don't know. I really think that the Academy for some reason, did not like Farewell, which I found to be a much better film. Now, uh, Parasite's totally in Korean. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Farewell was shot in America and China, and in China, so there's still subtitles of either way, but uh, there were, you know, so there, were, there was foreign language issues there. But Parasite won for Best Director. Uh, there, we had Martin Scorsese for Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, and the, the prediction you made was Sam Mendes, who I think deserved it for 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Quentin Tarantino, but it was Bong Joon-ho that won for Best Director. And, you know, what I, I, if there's one part of the ceremony I did enjoy is that he just seemed to think that, well, we'll get one award or something, and then he kept getting called up. It's like he was genuinely shocked. It wasn't that, you know, acting kind of thing, He especially at the end, but... When he got Best Director, he clearly was shocked. I think even if you didn't think Parasite was the best movie of the year, and I'll get into later about how the Oscars isn't usually the best movie, and I have a little thing I want to say about that later. Mm -hmm. But you had to be happy for his wins, because when he got up, 
Uh, you can tell he has an infectious love of movies. He's been studying movies. He's um, been a huge fixture in South Korea uh, film scene. And not only is his win big for him because he's someone who grew up loving movies and he just seemed to have so much fun up there, but this was the first time that Korea had ever been nominated in any category. That is correct. Even yes. foreign language films. So right. it's not the fact that oh, this is the first win for this country. This is the first nomination in any category, and it did very well. And there are some really good uh, Korean foreign films that have been made throughout the years that uh, American audiences should check out. So I know we're going to talk about Best Picture, but I think this was meaningful because I hope this helps more people not fear subtitles and really do check out some films from other countries because when you when you get afraid of subtitles, when you only want to watch English language American films, you're missing out on some really good movies because of that fear. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this before and fully agree that I would hope more people make an effort. I know that I the only reason I ever the first time I ever went to a film that was largely subtitled because a friend of mine was actually in the film. I'll I'll get into that later if you want to, but uh, I ended up going and just was blown away by the film and found out that the subtitles did not put me off. So I'm hoping, as you hope, that more people do that. And Parasite's a good film. I recommend people see it. I don't know about you. Here's a question for you, though, and, and it, I'll, I'll say this during the director's uh, discussion. To what extent did this get more attention from Hollywood because... This film centers on class. And and what you have, and you and I have talked about this before, is that you begin this film and you have what is essentially a criminal family trying to infiltrate a very wealthy family and apparently yeah, take Joker advantage of Joker deals with them. class, too. No, this, but, was a, this was a better film. Hear me out. <laughs> I, I'm, you have, cla- you have a, a different kind of class issue. Not, but in this case, with, with, uh, with, with Parasite... When you see this film and you see the beginning and you, you see what's happening to this wealthy family, and then you see what happens throughout the film, at the very end of the film, I don't know about you, I thought to myself, well, who were the evil people in this so film? So there's some interesting things on this movie. Um, the, the title's called Parasite, uh, which confused a lot of people. They mm-hmm. thought, oh, is this a sci-fi film? Is this sci-fi. a thriller? Because right. previously, Bong Joon-ho did a film called The Host, which was a mm-hmm. sci-fi kind of horror thriller. Uh, this is not that kind of movie. And it's kind of a film that kind of dips its toes in several genres. It's not a true comedy or heist or action or thriller. It's a little bit of each. The parasite, is it the family who's trying to take advantage of the rich family? Are they the ones that are the parasites? Or is it the rich family who can't even wash their own clothes or do their own dishes and are so dependent on servants to help them? Maybe they're the ones that are the parasites. Well, it's the way they treat their servants, too. Oh, yes. It's not just the fact they can't do basic functions of of humankind and have to have somebody else do it. It's the way they treat the people who work for them, and then they ask them to do something ridiculous. Well, I'm paying you extra for this. It shouldn't be a problem. One interesting thing in that film, you talk about it's about class. one category it really deserved to win and didn't was production design. Mm-hmm. That house, which was an important part of the movie, was built from scratch. Mm-hmm. They didn't find a house because when Bong Joon-ho wrote the um, screenplay, he had certain things, almost like a farce, where they have to look around the corner and they have to eavesdrop here, and characters need to be in certain places. And it also needed to look like an architect would build it. So he had these notes in the script. He sent it to his production designer, who then consulted with an actual architect. Well, this architect said, nobody would build a house the way that you're, this is crazy. They wouldn't actually design a house this way. So they go back to the director and he's like, no, 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 it needs to be this way for the plot. So you really do kind of respect that. There are a lot of levels in that movie, people going up and down staircases, the family living in a kind of a sub-basement, and that kind of shows the whole class system, the different levels of the house. And the other, what, came to my mind as a guy 68 years old was the fact that you know, these these very wealthy people in in South Korea most of them have underground shelters because they're afraid of a bombing from North Korea and what I what came to my mind was in the 1950s and 60s people building fallout shelters and I people in my neighborhood when I live where I live built 
fallout shelters where they probably couldn't even afford it. They just thought that was somehow going to protect them. And these people thought that, you know, a nuclear exchange with North Korea, they were somehow going to be protected by this uh, deep underground area, which probably was not going to be the case. Let me quickly go to uh, the documentary films. I always try to see them, and this year I didn't get to see any of them, although I have no excuse. I could have seen American Factory. It's on Netflix. And American Factory won. Uh, the others were The Cave, The Edge of Democracy. That had to do with Brazil and the fact that they had been a military dictatorship, had been a, a democracy for a number of years, and their fears now that they're going back to a dictatorship. Uh, for Sama, which we talked about with uh, Christopher Lloyd uh, about uh, the horrible war and the refugee situation and the hospitals coming under attack in Syria, and Honeyland, which was a Macedonian film about bees. So the winner, again, was American Factory. Uh, it was a Netflix film, the, a first of a production company that was put together by Barack Obama yeah. and Michelle Obama. They didn't get an Oscar, though, because they weren't uh, listed as producers on this film. And I think they did that on purpose. They let the others, you know, who were really involved in the film, get the credit. So you have to, to say that that's, that's a good idea. I won't say much about the international films. There were several of them. They were from France, Spain. Again, the Macedonian film about Honeyland made that cut as well, Body of Christ from, uh, uh, from Poland, uh, but the winner was Parasite. And, you know, here's the thing. When Parasite won Best International Film, I'm thinking, well, they're not going to get Best Picture now. I was wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're going to get Best Picture, it would have been crazy for them not to get Best International Film. I will say Pain and Glory was very good. Mm -hmm. One interesting note, and now it's called Best International Film instead of Best Foreign Language Film, and some of that is because there are many languages spoken in the United States. Correct. Also, a film like The Farewell was trying to qualify for best foreign language film because but it didn't because there's too much English in it. Right? Was, well, it was it was an American production, and that was American production. So it was not a film that is represented. It wasn't made in China. It wasn't made by a Chinese production company or Chinese director or actors. It was. I mean, there were some Chinese actors, but it was an American movie that had some foreign language in it. For example, remember the film um, The Artist that won Best Picture. Mm -hmm. A silent film made in France, French actors, but it's not spoken in French because, again, they don't speak. It's a silent movie. And even when there was some dialogue or words on the screen, it was in English because it was set in Hollywood. So while that may be a French production, it wasn't a foreign language film. So now they've redone it as international film instead of foreign language. Let's talk about music. Just a couple of little um, notes on that. Uh, the the uh, original score was won by Joker, and I think I don't have a problem with that. That was a haunting score and fit that film perfectly. That film, that was a little different. That was one of the few times that a movie score was written before the movie was shot. Mm -hmm. That almost mm -hmm. never happens. Mm -hmm. And it actually was an important thing because there were scenes where Joaquin Phoenix was dancing, and they would listen to the music to kind of give him that inspiration. Mm -hmm. So that composer did more than just write music. It helped shape the direction of the movie. And the best original song, really glad to see Elton John and Bernie Toppin up there. I liked uh, the music in Rocket Man. It didn't get much love elsewhere in the film you know, or the uh, Oscars. So, but I really enjoyed Rocket Man's music, the way they put the music together, and the specific song, I'm Gonna Love Me Again. So Rocket Man was a good movie. I wouldn't say it got snubbed for Best Picture, but in my opinion, I liked it more than Bohemian Rhapsody, which did very well at the Oscars its year. Um, so I'm not sure why Rocket Man didn't get the same love that Bohemian Rhapsody did. Perhaps because Rocket Man was a little more R-rated um, yeah, than Bohemian Rhapsody was. Mm -hmm. So, well, here's what's going to happen now. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Talk about Best Picture. Talk more about the Oscar show itself, and anticipate some of the films that we will be seeing in 2020. You're listening to Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. <music> This podcast originates from Donatello's Italian Restaurant, 9 West Main Street, in the heart of the Carmel Arts and Design District. If you want Italian with a local touch, try Donatello's. For more, go to donatellositalian.com. Adam and I appreciate all of our listeners, including you. 
please, if you can, just take a moment and comment on this podcast. If you are listening through iTunes or some other platform that allows comments or perhaps a rating option, Adam and I thank you in advance. Time to talk about the best picture, and let's just talk about each one. I saw all but two, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. There were a lot of good films. There was, you know, I'm mad that Farewell got left off that list. I think it deserved to be there. Um, but I thought they were all good films. You, I'm not sure I would take one. And I have not seen Jojo Rabbit or Little Women. I was going to take Jane. Jane and I got busy. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, I should have seen. I just, you know, got busy and couldn't go out and see it. But I've seen the others, and I've and I've read and, and, and listened to what people have said about Little Women and Jojo Rabbit, so I have no problem with them being on the list. But I must tell you, I, I really thought in my own my somehow marriage story was going to pull this off because it is such a an outstanding film. But um, Parasite was the winner, and, and it made history. So your thoughts on Parasite, you obviously liked the film more than I did. I don't think it's a bad film, but you liked it better than I Yeah, so um, Ford versus Ferrari, Marriage Story, and Parasite were, among, I think, around my top three favorite movies of the year. Um, and then after that probably was The Lighthouse, um, which did not get a nomination. Um, you know, I liked all three films. I think that Parasite's win is important, again, because it's the first international film to win. And I think we always talk about the Oscars being the best picture. This is the best movie of the year. Well, really, it's not the best movie of the year because that's a subjective thing. And if you look back at the best picture winners over the past 91 years, it is, mm-hmm. um, very rarely is it the film that uh, is you consider the best of the year. If I were to make a list of my top 100 favorite movies ever made, I guarantee they're not all best picture winners. That some of them some of them didn't even get nominated. Mm-hmm. Um some of the films that did win, you're like, why did that win? <laughs> why did why did Kramer versus Kramer beat Apocalypse Now? Why did Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas? Those kind of things. Well, a lot of times what the Oscars does in the best picture, it's not the best movie. It's a snapshot in time. This film represents the best, what we remembered, what we loved about this year, 2019, in films. Yeah, I think you have a good point there because the voting takes place in the year the right after the film comes out, or if it's late in the year, pretty close to when it comes out. And I think the Academy is going to take into consideration what society is like, what California is like in Hollywood. When they make that decision, and when you look back on it years later, you can say Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Well, that was a big social issue at the time. Apocalypse Now was one of the greatest films ever made, and it wasn't Best Picture. But I do agree with you. I, I think that when you're looking at the Oscars, well, there's always a little bit of politics and promotion and all that. But I, I, if you take that away, I, I do believe that the, the Academy voters think about the times they are in when they cast that vote so i think you have a good point and uh, some of these you know if i had a ballot it would have been ford versus ferrari i thought marriage story had a shot just from the politics of of hollywood and i will say i I think the academy wanted to make some history here i think they wanted to say okay this is a different film it's it's done very well it's a foreign film it's subtitled let's let's give this the love it deserves so from that point of view I think that's a good thing for film. Mm-hmm. Okay, you agree with me. I agree. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think I think they're all good nominees. Um, I don't think there's anything in there that I hated. Um, I, I, I would say the three films that I liked that didn't make it, The Farewell, Uncut Gems, and The Lighthouse, uh, all made by production company A24, mm-hmm. which always does a good job. They won Best Picture with Moonlight, uh, but it seems like they didn't really have a big marketing push for a lot of these films. The same that... So Jojo Rabbit, that it was made by Fox, which was then bought by Disney. Mm-hmm. Disney had a lot of money to throw at Oscars and push. And as we know, we've talked about this before, the marketing arm is strong when it comes to what gets nominated and maybe possibly what can win uh, because you know people see those four-year consideration things all throughout Hollywood, all the voters do, and I think that does play a little bit of a role. And 
it was very clear in the award ceremony, it was mentioned at least three times that I remember, that Ford versus Ferrari, this was going to be the last film that was going to contend for an Oscar. I think they, they won a technical yeah. Oscar um, for 20th Century yeah. Fox. And this is really what they're trying to say to the audiences. Beware, consumers, we're, you know, we're seeing a consolidation of the film industry. And since Disney owns 20th Century Fox now, they may have decided, we want to push both films, but we're really going to push Jojo Rabbit more. Mm-hmm. And it did win for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it and it's, you know, it, it probably deserved that. I, I'm anxious to see it. I just haven't had the chance to, to go see that film. Why do you think the production people at the Academy Awards ceremony turned the lights down when Parasite was was giving their speeches. The whole crowd got up and yelled at the production crew to turn the lights back This up. is the part that always makes me frustrated. So a lot of times at the Oscars, when some person that isn't famous celebrity gets up and gives a speech, the viewers get bored. Ooh, why do I care about this best costume design person that wants to talk about things? I'm just going to do something else. Then Brad Pitt gets on the screen, and they're glued to every word. You know what? Brad Pitt gets every day to talk to the public. He, he can go and get on Twitter or go on a talk show and talk to anybody any of these times. A lot of these people, this is their one time, their one moment to kind of say what's in their heart, to say what they want to feel. This is their moment. They may never be back there again. Mm-hmm. So I say let them enjoy it, and especially for Parasite, a lot of these people in this movie, they'll never be at the Oscars again. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will be, mm-hmm. but but probably not. And so let them enjoy their moment. Renee Zellweger, you've already won an Oscar. You've already given a lot of speeches. You had nothing interesting to say. Quit rambling. You know, when she was at the... Which one was it? Um, it's the first award ceremony by the Foreign Press Association. Golden Globes. Golden Globes. I hate to say it, but when she gave that speech to the Golden Globes, I think she... Uh, they, the one that's fam- That particular ceremony is famous for... Uh, allowing everybody in the room to have as much alcohol as they want. <laughs> it was, she really was in bad shape when she got up to, for the Golden Globes, and I felt sorry for her because was, she was a little more on point with the Oscars. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's just like it shortened it up. They only had one clearly political speech, and that was from Brad Pitt. Yeah, and it kind of fell flat. You know, there was a lot less politics this time. That's my point. Yeah. You know what, Rice? Uh, a few things I want to complain about right here, Larry. Can I complain about something for a it's minute? It's your turn. Okay. Go. I hate it. If you see on social media today, people who complain about a few things. One, I hate it when they talk about politics and speeches. You know they're going to do this. You know they are. Don't let it bother you or don't watch. But everyone who has these comments about the Oscars and they say, well, I didn't watch because I'm tired of them attacking our president. They didn't do that. They really no, didn't. they really didn't. Even Brad Pitt did not directly. He was more at the Senate. It wasn't even the president. So, yeah, you're right. There wasn't this and attack on Trump And even if they Trump did, thing. you know what's going to happen. Just yes. let it go. It's the Hollywood crowd. Now, I've know, seen there, there are a few conservatives in Hollywood. They just don't get up at the Oscars much. Yeah. Clint Eastwood maybe occasionally. Yeah. John Voight doesn't John really. John Voight doesn't, yeah, doesn't get, get up there get much it. anymore. Yeah. But uh, I hear some people say, take it to an extreme of they won't go to the movie theaters because – Oh, my God, Brad Pitt said something bad about the president. I won't go see his movie. Really? So if you enjoy movies like you and I do, you would deprive yourself of something you enjoy, a night of entertainment, because of what somebody believes in their personal lives? Who's, I don't know. That's just ridiculous. Rob Reiner, I don't think he said it when he was in Indianapolis, but he said it before, that once he got involved in politics, he lost half of his audience. Uh, some of his movies haven't been as good. I think that's... But would Princess Bride do as well now as, as then? Uh, we, we don't know, but he's, his point is a lot of people are doing just what you were saying, just not going to his films. I think that hurt Clint Eastwood with Jewel, which I I haven't seen it yet, but I hear it's a pretty good film and, and with, a, with, a, with a few problems in it, but and, and factually, too. Uh, the newspaper in Atlanta took big umbrage with it, but I no, would, I agree with you, and it shouldn't. But, but, go but, either. but it shouldn't make a difference. I would not fail to see that film just because Clint Eastwood's conservative, That's or ex- somebody else is a liberal. Well, know? and it's also when people complain about it all the time, it starts to get like you know this is going to happen. Let it go. That's like saying, "Oh my God, there are way too many commercials during the Super Bowl." What are they? 
<laughs> yeah. There's, there's too many commercials in any sporting event. Other complaint that drives me nuts, people complaining about how long the Oscar ceremonies mm-hmm. were. For one, this year, I thought it went by pretty quickly. It was a little early compared to other Oscars. Yeah. yeah. And some people give their speeches, and they didn't do some, they did do some tribute to the music and movies, and Eminem uh, gave his performance for Eight Mile that a lot of people were, had their heads scratching. Why is Eminem performing a song from 17 years ago? But I guess he didn't perform it at the Oscars then because he didn't think he was going to uh, win, and he did win, which is kind of funny. But you know, usually a lot of times the Oscars it does feel bloated. This they have a giant montage in the beginning. They have something saying, "Let's celebrate the power of films." Yes, we know films are powerful. That's why we're watching. You don't th- need to remind us. I thought Steve Martin, Chris Rock self-deprecating humor for the for the Oscars. They just they, they really took shots at everybody. Uh, yeah, because there was no hosts, there wasn't a lot of controversial moments. There were no Ricky Gervais outrage <laughs> uh, today. Um, it, it really just yeah. focused on uh, the winners, which is good. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was it did move pretty quickly. It was over three hours. There are a lot of awards, and they let them all have speeches, and then they have to remind you of who they who got the award nominations in the first place. So to complain about the length, you know it's going to take that long. Just tune the second half if you care. Use your DVR. Watch it the next morning if you're that upset. I will say it. if they do want to cut down on the time, one thing they should do is. Most people are pretty aware what these films are. When they show like long clips of each movie ahead of time, mm-hmm. we got it. And this is me being kind of a nerd. Some of the clips are spoilers, Larry. If you had not seen these movies, they were giving away key scenes in the movies in the Oscar clips. I think the Academy has for years tried to use that ceremony as a way to sell films in general. And I wondered about that when I saw those clips. Is that going to draw people to the film? Or will it say, okay, I got it. I don't need to see it. Well, one of the clips that was interesting, because they just show like brief snippets of these films, was Mm -hmm. Jojo Rabbit. Because Mm -hmm. it's a film about a young boy Mm -hmm. who has an imaginary friend named Hitler. He thinks the Nazis are cool. And then, this isn't a huge spoiler. You can predict it. He he kind of... finds the error in his ways and realizes hate isn't wrong. But the clips you see in the film, he's like, I love swastikas. You're like, oh, wait a second. You take that one part out of context, just one yeah. quick snippet, mm-hmm. I think somebody might get the wrong idea about what this movie's about. So, well, not all good points, but uh, the Oscars are never perfect. One thing I always thought was interesting, Oscars end when they end. But if you watch the Emmy Awards, that's a TV production. They are always done right on time because it's TV people, right? It's not movie people who just, when it's over, it's over. What I'd like to do now is, uh, with the time we have left, is talk about some of the films that are most anticipated for this year. I just kind of went online and, and wrote a few down. It's certainly not an exhaustive list. And, you know, you don't know what the really good films are going to be because sometimes they come out of nowhere and this may not, the next best picture or the next big hot film may not even be on this list. And guess what? There are lots of remakes. Example, a new Wonder Woman movie is coming. Uh, one that I'm uh, interested in seeing is called The Assistant. It's a film about a new girl that goes to work in Hollywood, and they just kind of give her all the jobs nobody else wants to do, you know, enter figures in a uh, computer program for budgets. But then all of a sudden, she sees money going out in big numbers, and she can't figure out where. Well, you can kind of take it from there. It's just, this is a Me Too movement kind of film. So The Assistant is coming up later this year. Then there's Downhill, and you ought to know about that. It's been marketed to death on TV with Will Ferrell and Julie Louise Dreyfus. So uh, that's coming up soon. Again, I'm just listing the films that I've seen. There's going to be a new film about the TV show Fantasy Island. Why? I don't know, but it's coming up. There is a new Invisible Man. you know, Invisible Man's one. The original Invisible Man was one of the great classic films in the early days of Hollywood. So let's hope they don't mess that up and do a good job with it. Uh, James Bond is back. James Bond's new film is No Time to Die. Uh, there is a new film on uh, make uh, picking up the story where it left off with The Quiet Place. 
there's a new Ghostbusters movie. There's a new cast. I didn't write down the new cast members, but that's uh, coming up in the year. Here's one that we'll have to see how this works out. It could go either way. Because uh, I am old enough to remember the trial of the Chicago 7 after the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. Aaron Sorkin is uh, releasing a film on the trial of the Chicago 7. So uh, we'll have to see how he handles that. There's also a new film uh, that's coming out this year called Respect. It's the life of Aretha Franklin. Uh, I remember her music well uh, when I was young, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Eddie Murphy has a new Coming to America film. Once again, we're in the remake uh, area here. Another one, there's a new Dune film coming out. Uh, Timothy Chalamet will be one of the stars of that. There is a new West Side Story coming out, and I don't know how they're going to handle it or change it, but uh, keep it the same, but uh, that's on the agenda for the coming year. And finally, one that I saw that might be interesting, it's a new Sofia Coppola film called On the Rocks, and Bill Murray is going to be in that film. Any others you're aware of? So the Sundance Film Festival just concluded, and they always have a nice predictor of some films. Um, a couple of they had Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, two Oscar winners, are in a film called The Father. Uh, these are all kind of like drama films that sure. you see there that looked interesting. Um, there's uh, Shirley, which about kind of the story of Shirley Jackson, the uh, author who... Uh, kind of wrote The Haunting of Hill House, which was, of course, the Netflix TV show, and Elizabeth Moss plays her. Um, it's by the director of kind of an obscure indie film called Madeline's Madeline, uh, Josephine Decker. So people are anticipating her follow-up there. Um, and then, of course, I think there's a, a Promising Young Women, which was kind of one of the biggest things in there. Uh, it's got a kind of like a Me Too move, me, movie uh, with uh, Carrie Mulligan in it. Um, and that's one that's kind of getting some attention. So we might see some things at a Sundance Film Festival. Um, the new oh, Bond I for, movie. I, I forgot about Spike Lee. He has a new film coming out, too. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. But yes, more on Bond. Oh, yes. yeah. So this is presumably the last Daniel Craig Bond movie. And uh, Oscar winning Rami Malek is going to be the villain in this film, which I always think if you have a good action movie, having a good villain is always key. So. Uh, having someone like that, him to go uh, head-to-head, I think, will be good. Every Bond film you really remember had a great villain. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, yeah. I mean, the Oscars were fun. Now, dr- I had to drive to Noblesville before we uh, got here today, and I, I thought, well, let me turn on some of this. I have Sirius XM, some entertainment radio to hear mm-hmm. what they say about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. My God, Larry, some <laughs> of these people. And it made me think, like, are we really... Like, I hopefully we're insightful and not cliche. I, I try my best. But some of these people on these entertainment talk shows, Larry, they made me... I wanted to, like, yell in my car. They were, they were saying things wrong. They were saying the most kind of cliche things you'd say about movies. They were just kind of a, a clone of Ryan Seacrest, but not a good clone, kind of like a fuzzy, you know, missing half the brain kind of clone of Ryan Seacrest. And oh my God, Larry, the next time you want to kind of get, you love movies, next time you want to get angry, listen to some of these entertainment talk shows on XM. You're just, now, your you, mind. You and I both spent time making a living as journalists at one point in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... There are different places you can work in journalism. You could be a regular uh, reporter. You could be a political reporter. You can be uh, a sports writer. I'd always wondered about the journalists that chose entertainment news. I mean, I have found the same thing that you are speaking of here. They all say the same thing. Uh, You go on these talk show circuits. So if you're promoting a movie, you're going to do interview after interview, and you get the same questions. But some of them ask the dumbest (laughs) questions to people. And I think there's some good YouTube Mm. montages. My favorite was when uh, Rashida Jones, um, Mm. actress who was on The Office and Parks and Recreation, uh, she's the daughter of Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. And uh, her mom was a famous model. Um, So she has a white mother, black father, and she was at a uh, award show, and someone said, "I love your tan. You look great." Oh no! Oh, <laughs> and she no. says, "Yeah, yeah, oh. I'm ethnic. Uh, that's uh, oh. that's natural." <laughs> that is 
embarrassing. Oh. But this is clearly someone that did not do their homework. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and one thing about you and I, and I think we have this in common, before you go in and talk to somebody and you're interviewing someone, whether it's in a podcast these days or in the old days, a radio talk show, or just interviewing somebody for a newspaper story, you have to have some idea what you're talking about. Uh, I have heard political leaders locally tell me that some of the TV reporters locally, they I mean, it's not their fault because they're just dropping into one story after another mm-hmm. after another. They don't have time to do it. Well, what's going on? You know, Tell me what's going on with this or that. They have no background in it. Uh, so journalism has changed. Perhaps you and I are fortunate we're out of it now for the most part. I do a little volunteer work. And By the way, before we go, I will ask you this. I don't want to talk about anything political, but I would be curious to know this. You've just spent a short amount of time as a, you've been through a a campaign and all that. You're now a member of a city council, one of the largest cities in the state. I'm just curious what it's like. Just kind of explain the sort of sorts of things you have to do without getting into politics. Just what it's like to sit in in that chair and, and make uh, decisions on votes. And just, just tell me a little about how the jobs are. I'm trying, I'm, I'm doing my best and hopefully I'm doing a good job for people. Um, there's a couple different things when you serve in a body like a legislature or the city council. You want to have a good working relationship with your other fellow elected officials. I think that's important because if you want to get things done or, you know, kind of be able to know what's going on, you got to work well together. But then you also have to represent your constituents, and sometimes that can have uh, differing ideas there. There's also the idea of trying to be transparent and share information for the public, but then you don't want to just be vomiting out words constantly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there are some things that um, you do need to uh, they may not be if someone's negotiating a deal for a piece of property and it's not in public and you mm-hmm. said guess what I found out and then you just kind of messed up a business deal that yes. wouldn't be good mm-hmm. um, and then even too like if you're going to make a public statement so as an, uh, an elected official you know there's a lot of issues that come out and people may ask you your opinions so people sometimes will put out statements on things to get headlines, uh, and usually they're carefully crafted. But no matter how much you carefully craft a statement, someone will misinterpret what you're trying to say. Or, or take a little your... word or a couple of exactly. words out. So then you mm-hmm. think, well, do I even comment on things? And then you're like, well, you, you don't want to be closed up and not sharing your thoughts. So it's kind of a balancing act. You do want to be transparent. You do want to communicate with the public. But you still have to be decisive and deliberate and really pick your words carefully. So it's tough. I mean, let me, let me ask you something because I, I went through this recently with the school, local school board, mm-hmm. Fisher Hamill Southeastern School Board. They were debating whether or not to live stream and then store videos of their meetings. It was a 4 3 vote. It was a close vote. And the reason it was a close vote is because the State School Board Association is recommending that local school boards no longer do this video. And the reason they're saying that is it kind of relates to, to something you just said, but more advanced technologically. Video technology is so advanced that at this point, you could see a statement of a politician any, or in a public meeting or in any mm-hmm. setting. And you can garble that and make it sound like that politician is saying exactly the opposite of what they're actually saying. So, so Carmel uh, live streams its meetings and then they store them online. Mm-hmm. I think it's also on a local channel too. But does that worry you when you, you it have doesn't. to? Doesn't when that technology's I mean, out there, somebody you could, could do that because you could show the original video and show it was fake. Okay, so that part doesn't trouble me. But it is what I think is. Um, kind of uh, disappointing is that you do have meetings that are live streamed and you do have they're open to the publics but if you can't attend it's right there online Mm -hmm. and people still say well how come you never tell us about anything that's going on (laughs) I was like well we had a newsletter we had uh, it was on the Facebook page it was live streamed it was at the meeting it was an article in the current well, I didn't see any of that. Well, <laughs> well at some point. <laughs> you have a little responsibility as a citizen if you're interested. No, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to a good year of film. I think I would agree with Christopher Lloyd's assessment. It was an average year for film. It wasn't a bad year, but it wasn't outstanding. Do you think there's any movie that 10, 20 years from now you're still going to be watching, still going to be talking about? Well, Parasite, simply because it's historic. Yeah. I mean, because history was made, we will talk about this for years. 
I'm hoping over time that Ford versus Ferrari will be a classic film just because of the story it told and, and, and how well the story was told. It by has, the movie I think, makers. one of the most replay value of a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some films that you watch them, you really like them, but you never really have a desire to see them a second time, either because they were so emotionally draining or because. A lot of times it was the twist that made the movie, and once you've seen the twist and once you know what's going to happen, then the movie doesn't have the same effect. I rewatched Ford versus Ferrari. It holds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing I really liked about that movie was there's scene after scene that just, this is a great scene. And you're watching a movie, and, you, and it's one of those things if it was on TV, you're like, oh, wait, this is one good scene. i got to watch this. And that scene ends. Well, this is a good scene, too. i got to watch this one. And it's just that kind of movie that just mm-hmm. flows with that kind of momentum. Um, there are a lot of films that are what they call slow burns. I think Parasite may fall into that category for some people, um, where, you know, when you're first starting to watch it, you're like, all right, this is okay. Where is this going? By the end, it pays off, Mm -hmm. but you're going to lose a lot of audiences in that first half hour because if it doesn't wow them, it doesn't excite Mm -hmm. them from the Mm -hmm. beginning, then they're just going to turn the channel. They're just going to do something else. Ford versus Ferrari is a film that I think is very accessible to a large audience because it does excite people from beginning to end. It's very family friendly. And yet it's also a really good movie. Usually when I say the word accessible in the film that's family friendly. People just say, oh, I don't want to see that. Yeah, it's, well, there's no art to it. That's probably just. It has grit to it, though. Exactly. There's, and, there's artistic yeah. value to this yeah. movie. And it's for a wide audience. You rarely see those two come together. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. One last thing I'll mention here, and we hope to maybe do something with this later on because cats uh, is it the cats and the Razzies? I'm not going to talk about cats. Did, did you see that there was a cats moment last? There night? There was a cats moment last night, and the the crowd went nuts. I mean, they all knew it. They just saw the film crowd because we talked to Christopher Lloyd about what a what a what a disaster cats was as a film. <laughs> And so, you know, they figured that's the only way cats will ever get on the Academy Awards two presenters dressed up like cats. That's what they pulled their uh, self from Oscar consideration. So I think <laughs> well, that's like, a good thing. I don't think it would have helped either way. But there's a new film. Uh, how should I put this? A new film facility that is being built on the northeast side near Indianapolis in a neighborhood that's that's. Uh, beginning to get some attention. The Windsor Village, I think, is the neighborhood. And it's just north and east of the Mass Avenue development. It's calling itself the Can-Can Theater. It has three different screens. It will have a restaurant they're going to call a brasserie, a French brasserie, as part of the complex. And the reason I mention it is because, uh, you know, we we do have a, a dearth of independent film theaters in Indianapolis. They've all had trouble nationwide because of the accessibility of online films and all that. Uh, but it, it appears that the people who are putting this together have a good business plan. They've got, they are in the process of, of uh, constructing it right now. I just saw a news story on TV the other day that uh, they're making progress. So when they're closer to, uh, to opening, I'm, I'm hoping we can uh, do a little something with them and give them some publicity because, as you mentioned, you, in order to see, for instance, a foreign film, you have to have a place to see it. And I think a foreign film uh, translates much better in a movie theater than on TV uh, with all the subtitles. Well, and I think sometimes, we, this is a disagreement I have with somebody, they said, if I go to the theater, I only want to watch th- things like uh, a Marvel movie or an action film, like a Bond movie or Ford versus Ferrari, because you want to see it on a big screen because of all the visuals, or 1917. There's no point for me to see something like Parasite in a theater because I can enjoy it just as much at home. I understand that, but I would say that sometimes when you go to the theater, it's kind of you turn off your phone, no one's going to call you, the dog's not going to ask mm-hmm. you to take it out, mm-hmm. the baby's not going to cry. Right. You can sit and pay attention and watch the movie from beginning to end, and you don't grab your phone and try to look up something, and it forces you to really absorb the film. One movie that I really enjoyed in the theater, but I probably would have had a hard time staying, paying attention at home, I watched A Hidden Life, uh, the recent Terrence Malick movie. If you've seen Terrence Malick, his movies are usually slow, not a lot of dialogue, a lot of beautiful visuals, but maybe the story's kind of light. This was a great film that really uh, grabbed me by the end, 
and uh, I would recommend it to people. But I will say, if you're watching it at home, yeah, you do need to make sure you pay attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the theater, I didn't have that problem. So what I'm hoping here is that uh, independent films will have another venue where uh, I guess they're going to have three different screens. One's a larger theater, but they'll even have one small screening room, which is about 30 seats. So what I'm hoping is that there'll be an opportunity for people to take in foreign, uh, international, if you will, and, uh, and you know, the independent films that uh, sometimes don't play here or play very briefly and going, you know, I'm a big fan of seeing a documentary film in a movie theater, so we're hoping there'll be more opportunities for that. Uh, any last thoughts uh, before we go? No. Then uh, we will be back. Uh, this is a periodic podcast now. Uh, this is kind of a slow time for films this time of year in January. But this is the dumping ground. It uh, should. It's going to pick up. Sometimes in, later in February and in March it picks up a little bit. So uh, once we have some films to look at, we'll be back. So Adam, good to see you again. Another Academy Awards ceremony is in the books. It is a special night for film buffs and those working in the film business. Now we have another year of movies ahead of us and can once again begin to speculate on the nominees and potential winners in the next round of Academy Awards. Adam and I are looking forward to another year of our periodic podcast featuring film reviews and other features when we can. Once again, Adam and I thank you for listening. And if you know others that might enjoy this podcast, share the link, have them give us a try. In the meantime, thanks for listening. We'll talk again. We'll talk again.